Hello, this is Scott Gillespie, and welcome to the second season of Plants Dig Soil. In this podcast, you will learn ways to transition from conventional to regenerative practices in agricultural, horticultural, and home gardening systems. Some of you will be thinking, I don't remember the first season. In fact, I don't remember subscribing to this podcast. That's because it has a different name now. I had called it Helping Plants to Help Your Soil, but I always found it wordy. Also, the title gets cut off in a lot of podcast apps. Over the Christmas break this year, Plants Dig Soil came to me, and it made so much more sense. I quickly checked the domain name and it was available, so I reserved it right then and there. What do you think of when you hear Plants Dig Soil? Email me, scott at plantsdigsoil.com, or message me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Links will be in the episode description. On to the first topic of the year, Plants as Soil Amendments. This was supposed to be a presentation at a CD Saturday event in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, put on by a local group called Environment Lethbridge. CD Saturday events are organized independently by local community organizations to allow gardeners to exchange seeds, listen to some talks on gardening, and exchange ideas with others. However, as with most events this past month, and for the foreseeable future, it was cancelled. I still worked on my presentation and I wanted to get the information out there, so I thought I'd adapt it to a podcast form and post it for everyone to benefit from. So let's get into it. When most people think of amendments for their garden, they think of bringing something from the outside. There are two basic types. One is a biological amendment that brings some type of organic matter to the soil, such as animal manure. The other type is something that changes the chemical structure of the soil. An example of this is lime to raise the pH. These shouldn't be confused with organic and conventional agriculture. Organic agriculture is a system that doesn't use synthetic inputs. It can still use chemical inputs as long as they are natural. Bt is a chemical that is created by bacteria and that is permitted to be used because it is created by natural processes. Likewise, conventional agriculture uses organic amendments along with synthetic inputs. Biological and chemical amendments work together to change the physical nature of the soil to help plants to root better and gather more nutrients. It also helps the microbes to function better by getting more gas exchange, carbon dioxide, and oxygen. Gardeners are accustomed to picking up these amendments from their local garden center and adding them to their soil. We forget about the long supply chains that it takes to get these amendments to us. We can't continue to take it for granted that we will be able to just pick these up. If the amendments aren't local, they may have traveled thousands of kilometers to get to us. The fuel alone is a large source of carbon, but let's think even further back through the chain. If you buy a bag of sheep manure, where did it come from? It didn't come from a farm where sheep graze on pasture. No one can collect manure from there. It had to come from a farm where sheep are kept in a barn. Where did the feed come from? It had to come from being grown on a field. This field may be nearby, but it also could have been thousands of kilometers away. Now think about the field. This food was exported from the field and the animals and their manure was not returned. Nutrients must be replaced. Where did those nutrients come from? If you want to dive deep into this, I suggest you read through a series of articles from Andy McGuire. He's the one that got me thinking through this and has done a wonderful job of putting numbers to nutrient and carbon flows. 
The links for the articles and any other resources mentioned will be in the transcript of this podcast posted to my site. This will also be in the episode description. Imported amendments aren't bad as long as you understand the carbon footprint and the journey that they have taken. In my own garden, I use compost that I make by collecting local leaves and combining them with vegetable scraps from my kitchen. Around my trees, I use wood chips that my town allows residents to pick up for free. These wood chips come from residents as they trim or cut down trees and from the employees of the town as they maintain local parks. I'm still part of transporting nutrients because the leaves, wood chips, and vegetable scraps, except for those that are grown in my own garden, all rely on nutrient replacement from an external source. I delved deeper into this last year, so if you want to learn more, check out episode 002 from last season. What if you don't have a local source? Or for me, what if the source isn't available to me? The town is running its own compost system now, so if it decides that all waste needs to go through its system, I may not have access. Or if everyone realized the value of their wood chips and leaves, I wouldn't have any available. This is where plants come in. The shoulder seasons are excellent times to have something that is cold tolerant and can grow when none of our vegetables can. From harvest to winter freeze, and again from thaw to planting, there's tremendous opportunity. Since this podcast is covering a local topic, I'm going to cover only those species that I have experience with and are locally available or at least were locally available. I was able to get the seeds last year from nearby garden centers, and the seeds were also available from online sources that originated only a province away. This coming year may have a greater challenge if supply chains are interrupted. I am fortunate to have enough leftover seed for this year, along with some seed from local farms that I've consulted with. I encourage you to start looking for seed now so that you are ready to plant in the summer. Yes, in the summer. Listen to podcast 006 to learn about what I did to establish cover crops so early that they maximize their growth in the fall and early winter. The first soil building crop I want to cover is fall rye. In the United States, it's commonly called cereal rye. It's an absolutely amazing plant. One year I planted it in mid-October, a month after our typical killing frost, and it grew. There was snow after I planted it, and I didn't see much until mid-November when it melted. I could find germinated seeds below the ground. After another snow in November and a thaw in December, they were out of the ground. In March, they were already growing through the snow as it melted away. This is a pretty common experience among farmers. Ideally, it is planted much earlier than that so it has more time to grow and to hold the soil in place, but it shows just how hardy it is. Too much growth can be a problem, so you don't want to plant it too early. The claim to fame for fall rye is its alleopathic effects. It creates its own herbicide to inhibit germination of plants nearby. This makes it both a good choice and one to be cautious about. I have found that as long as it's killed and the ground is slightly disturbed where I plant my vegetable crops, it's totally fine. Soybean growers have been successful in letting it grow to heading, crimping it to the ground, and planting directly into it. The best way to use it for your garden is late season soil stabilizer and weed inhibitor. In spring, it's best to kill it early, whether by mechanical or chemical means. I learned the hard way that it grows a massive amounts of roots and can be a nightmare to manage once it gets over 15 centimeters or six inches tall. The second soil building crop I want to discuss is hairy vetch. 
It's a cold, hardy legume that can help to add nitrogen to your soil. As it grows well in cold weather, it is a good erosion preventer and weed suppressor as well. The big caution with hairy vetch is that there can be hard seed. This means that there may be seed that will not germinate when it's planted. Some seeds are genetically programmed to wait a few years. This is not genetic modification. This is a completely natural trait that is part of the species. Due to this, hairy vetch can become a weed if it gets out of hand on you. If you manage your garden well and control weeds quickly, it shouldn't be a problem. My first experience with this was this past fall. I planted it between my vegetable rows in June along with many other soil crops. They all established and didn't grow much until harvest, which was the intention. Even though the fall was short and cool, the hairy vetch thrived. It was 30 centimeters or 12 inches tall when 60 centimeters or 24 inches, two feet of snow came in late September. It was flattened, but two weeks later when the snow had melted and we returned to non-freezing temperatures, it continued its growth. This past January, there was about 15 centimeters or six inches of snow on top of the ground when the high temperature dropped to minus 25 Celsius, which is minus 13 Fahrenheit, for about a week. After this, we had two to three weeks of temperatures above freezing, which is common for our area due to our proximity to the Rocky Mountains. I found new growth on the plants. Having cold tolerant crops that can overwinter, or at least have the potential to overwinter, is very important in a short growing season area like I live. As long as they can be managed prior to planting the vegetable crop, this maximizes the time that the soil crop can do its job. The last plant I want to feature is mustard. It will winter kill in my area, but it can tolerate some frost. Mustards are known to suppress diseases in the soil. In cases where potatoes have been grown too often, they can be used as a green manure that is tilled into the soil. Where it fits well is a part of a mix of seeds. Fall rye, hairy vetch, and mustard can all be planted together, where each will give some benefit to the soil. If you have a problem that's best solved with just one, I'd advise you to use that one exclusively. If your soil is in good shape and has no particular issue, a mix helps to maintain the soil. It also gives some resilience to the soil crop. In years where one crop is favored, or even particular places in the garden, that crop will thrive. If planting one crop and it doesn't do well in an area, you'll end up with a bare spot. So there you have it, three plants that you can start using this year to help amend your soil. There are dozens more, if not hundreds, that can work well in your garden. But you have to start somewhere. Do you have a plant that you love and you think I should have covered? Email me or send me a message through social media. My email, once again, is scott, S-C-O-T-T, at plantsdigsoil.com. And my social media links will be found in the description of this episode. Don't forget to start looking for these seeds now, not when you need them. The great thing about seeds is that they keep for years and they don't take up much space. Once you get the seeds you like, you can start to learn how to save some of them, so you always have your own supply. I know I'm going to start learning how to save seeds. I dabbled in it a bit this past year, but I'm going to put more effort into it this year. Remember to get local advice before acting upon this information. If you don't know who to talk to, get a hold of me and I'll help you to find someone. If you're in my local area and are in need of help, contact me.
it's always free to chat. If we get to the point that the scope broadens to consulting work, we can work out a plan that fits your budget. Would you like to keep up with me through a free monthly newsletter? Go to www.plantsdigsoil.com contact and select the newsletter option. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please make sure you do that in your favorite app. New podcasts come out once per month, just like the newsletter, so you won't be overwhelmed with information. If you're still listening, you're probably like me and want to know what the catch is. Why am I putting out this information for free? The reason is that I love to learn and I love to share the information. My knowledge has been built up from experiences in my own garden, advising farmers and agronomists in my consulting business, and from reading the latest books and articles on agronomy and regenerative agriculture. I have a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with an agronomy focus and a Master's of Science with a focus on plant science. Beyond my formal education, I have attained and maintained my Certified Crop Advisor designation and am a member in good standing with the Alberta Institute of Agrologists. Nearly everything I talk about is from free resources posted to university and research organization websites. Books that used to be hard to track down are available to buy or borrow for nearly anyone with an e-reader. The information is out there. Sifting through it all is what takes the time. I make my living entirely from consulting. I don't sell any products, software, or systems. I strive to be as independent and unbiased as possible so I can provide the best advice to my clients and help as many people as possible move from conventional to regenerative agriculture.